Hi friends, welcome to the Kansas City MomCast, a place to learn, connect, and grow in a relevant and intentional way. We're your hosts, Sarah and Megan. Join us as we interview experts in the field and hear from local moms just like you. This is a podcast for Kansas City moms by Kansas City moms. We know that your time is precious and we're grateful you've chosen to spend some of it with us. Thank you for being a part of the Kansas City Mom Collective community. Hi, friends. Welcome back. We have such a great show for you today on everyone's favorite topic, puberty. Here to guide us through this sometimes daunting topic is a local pediatrician that some of you may be familiar with, Dr. Natasha Bergert. Through COVID, she hosted Instagram Lives called Masks Off Live, updating us on the current situation at the time with the pandemic and answering questions. Dr. Berger is an experienced pediatrician in Southern Overland Park who's passionate about sharing evidence-based science that helps kids and families stay safe. She's also a mom like us. Let's meet Dr. Natasha. Hi, Dr. Natasha. Welcome. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We are, we're so excited to have you here to talk about puberty, which I was jokingly, I'm talking to Sarah. It's my favorite topic (laughs) after today. It will be my favorite topic. I just think it's such a great thing to discuss because I don't know. I just, I feel like it strangely gets forgotten about sometimes, which is weird because it's kind of a big deal. Yeah, it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. It's and, a it's a, deal. And, it's a, and it's an important topic and everybody can kind of use a good refresher. So happy to be here today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Let's start by talking about when does puberty actually start in boys and in girls and maybe some early indicators for both um, sexes that it's around the corner. Sure. So puberty in general, when we think about it, from a, from a medical standpoint is the physical and emotional and mental transitions that take place from childhood into adolescence to adulthood. So what we're watching for are both physical uh, changes that happen to the body during that time as we get closer to adults, but keeping in mind that the brain is also changing as well during those times and to have those expectations. So mm-hmm. most of these kids start, you know, guys are, Girls and boys kind of start at different ages. Uh, Girls start earlier than boys, and I think most people know that. The range of puberty really does vary based on your location in the world. It is based Hmm. on your um, ethnic background. Uh, It can be influenced by things like stress and environmental factors. So there's a, a range of normal for puberty to start. When we think about it, we think, is it too early or is it too late, right? So, um, so we think of anything happening before the age of eight for girls or nine for boys is too early. Anything after that is kind of normal-ish time, right? So anytime after eight to start those body changes, which probably seems a little early to you guys, but but that's where we're kind of what, what, what we start, that's still considered normal at the age of eight. Mm-hmm. 
And then we watch to the other end of the spectrum. So for guys, we really like to have start to see some body changes by the age of 13, by girls, by girls probably by the age of 12. And so anywhere within that range is when puberty can start, um, which is a pretty right, wide range. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So those early indicators in boys and girls, what are some obvious or maybe not so obvious things that kind of give us a hint that like, oh, this is starting or this might start soon? I think it's easier probably in girls because they have more noticeable uh, external appearance, specifically breast development that starts to happen. That's just more noticeable, I think, in girls. Um, Guys can be a little bit more sneaky because the, the indicator for boys that's starting puberty is testicular size. And as kids are mm. having more privacy during those years in most households, it's not like most mom and dads kind of see that change. So what we talk about and what I ask my kids in the office about is have you changed shoe sizes lately? Because most of the time <laughs> growth starts in the extremities. So the arms and legs start to grow and the feet and hands start to grow before the trunk, before you actually get linear height, you get long arms and legs and you get big feet. And so that's one of the things I ask my boys is, have you, you know, did you wear the same soccer feet at the beginning of the season or did you have to get new soccer feet during the season because your feet were growing? That's going to be one of my early indicators that we're starting to see that particular growth. And then I can confirm that on physical exam. With girls, with girls, I also ask about the feet, but also we ask um, for my girls too. You, most moms and dads will notice linear height on girls. Girls have their greatest growth velocity is about a half a year, probably six to twelve months before they start their period. So they really start to ramp up their height more drastically and more rapidly. Then you notice in boys, which is a little bit more of a slow crawl through the process, then that really big girl spurt that girls get. And so is there a certain, I've heard before, like a certain weight that girls kind of get to before they start their period, or is that not related? That's not related, but you're bringing up a good point in that that is one of the factors for early puberty is obesity and overweight. Okay. The amount, amount of fat that girls carry can influence the timing of puberty. And the reason is, is because estrogen or estradiol, the active hormone that causes a lot of these physical changes in girls is transitioned into its active element in fat cells. So kids that have a lot of those extra fat cells have the ability to make that conversion, we believe a lot easier and maybe see a little bit more early puberty, this could also contribute to my really high functioning athletes that have a really low um, body fat percentage, why why their onset of uh, menstruation might be delayed. Interesting. Okay. So having the conversation with our kids, I know for a lot of parents can be a very uncomfortable thing. And I would like to think that like our generation is getting better with this, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know. So (laughs) for those that maybe struggle with this, what are some tips you have for starting this conversation with both of our sons and daughters and when? That's a, that's, that's great. And I, and I do, I do think your gestalt is right. Like even in, even in the last 15 years of my practice, it seems to be a lot less taboo that parents are like, should we talk about this? And, and, and I think 
culture is driving that, our society is driving that, but more than anything, our kids are driving that. Our kids are having a lot more words for what their body is experiencing and what their friends might be experiencing, which is opening up um, what I think is a really important conversation for these kids. Because one of the things that I, that I worry about when you're thinking about starting this is that for, for if parents are scared to talk about something, mm-hmm. it implies that the topic is scary. Yes. Mm-hmm. And puberty yes. should not be scary. Mm-hmm. Puberty is a normal, predictable sequence of body changes. And so when you get scared about something, when you are scared you know, from something and have anxiety and fear, that's always calmed by facts. So you need to give your kids the facts. And that may require a re-education of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. It may require leaning into your healthcare providers. It may require leaning into resources to remind yourself of what the facts are. My, and the reason I say that is because one of the biggest things I try to instill in my families is that puberty is a predictable sequence of events of brain and body changes during adolescence. Puberty is not sexuality. Mm -hmm. And if you can pull those two things apart, I think in your brain as an adult and as a kid, I think talking about it becomes a lot easier. Of course, as kids get older, those become more enmeshed. But when you're just talking about puberty and body changes and what elementary kids need to know about their bodies and give them facts, Mm -hmm. you're not talking about sexuality. That's really helpful. Okay, so can you talk a little about the emotional or mental side of puberty starting? Like what, you know, like what can we, what can we blame our kids' behavior on? (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm, genetics. I'm I'm so sorry. Um, She's going through puberty right now. I'm really sorry about that. You know, you have, you have to blame genetics so you can only blame yourself. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, I you know, I think that what um puberty doesn't puberty affects the emotional hot centers of the brain. We've all known these emotional teens. It's important to know that it, puberty does not affect cognitive development. So the separation of the academic performance should not be influenced by puberty itself. Mm-hmm. Um however, what's interesting is that we do see the psychological implications of puberty perceived very differently in kids that identify as male or female. Mm-hmm. So kids that identify as male perceive puberty as a um, benefit. It improves yeah. their physical appearance. It gets them bigger. It gets them, um, it's more socially acceptable. So puberty mm-hmm. actually helps the self-esteem and mental wellness in kids that identify as male, in ge- generally speaking. Um, yeah. It has the opposite effect of girls, unfortunately. So for kids that identify as female, depression is twice as common in girls than in boys during adolescence because there's a more negative uh, connotation with their physical physical appearance and a, neg- mm-hmm. and a diminished self-worth as they are going through these changes. And there is some physiological reason for this, but most, and most of it is, is influenced by, or let's say reinforced by um, society, social media, those Mm -hmm. types of things that we talk about. And so I think 
you know, we, we don't have a crystal ball, right? We never have a crystal ball for our kids. But I think it is important to be mindful that there are physiologic changes that are happening in the brain. The emotional centers are still developing. The emotional centers get hotwired. They get crossed. There's a lot of kind of misfires that happen during that time that adolescents truly can't control. And of course, they still need to be responsible for their actions. But some of those behaviors um, are need to be approached with more understanding and kindness. Not that you're going to get away with behaviors that are unacceptable, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but there there is there is a limit to um, the ability of emotional control that a teenager can have until they cross that barrier where the hormones become more stable and the connections between that emotional core and the cognitive core become more stable. That's why we see, for example, kids, and I do, I do a little bit more reading on females because that's usually, I see more female patients when it comes to adolescents. Mm -hmm. And there's some really interesting research that shows, for example, the impact of social media in a 12 to 13 year old versus impact of social media on a 16 year old. And this is not a social media talk. I'm not blaming that. But mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. we're, when we're talking about how you receive that information about body positivity, body wellness, self-esteem, it is, it is physiologically different how kids perceive that information from a 12 year old person to a 16 year old person. And that is rep- that's representative of the, the physiological changes that are happening between that emotional center and that cognitive region of the brain. That's really interesting. I have a 11 year old boy mm-hmm. and we talked before this interview about the book decoding boys, which I would recommend um, for mm-hmm. anyone who has boys. But one of the things like we're not, I mean, I don't know, I guess, but in a physical puberty stage quite yet, but I have noticed just after reading the book, just the like withdrawnness, like wanting to have more time alone and just more um, just emotional changes, which whether that's puberty or not, I'm not sure, but um, Mm -hmm. it was definitely reassuring to say, okay, this is normal. This is a normal process. And Mm -hmm. it it is a weird, I think it's weird for all kids, but that weird age when it's like, you know, one day he's a kid who wants to play, you know, Legos with his little siblings. And then the next day he's reading in his room alone and doesn't want to talk to anybody. And during that time, and they may, you know, I think what we, it's tough being adult, but it's, it's tough being a kid. And, and especially during that time, the 10, 11, 12 year olds, there, there does become a period of grieving where Mm -hmm. you are, you're grieving the fact that you can't or won't or don't want to play with that Barbie house anymore, but you loved it so much. Yes. And it's it's grieving a loss um, that they are experiencing too. We, we experience it as parents, but we have a much wider lens of who they are and who they will become and what they have to look forward to. Kids, kids have a window of a couple of days. Uh (laughs) And so, and so, so it is where, where you do see, you know, kids engaged in, in maybe more uh, younger kid activities that they maybe loved before and that grieving process that they're kind of going through. I think that that kind of best describes when we kind of see those transient moments of sadness or having, being more aloof, they're, they're experiencing that as well. And that's why you'll see, especially um, high schoolers that have young cousins or they're babysitting or something like that. 
there brings me no more joy than seeing like a high schooler going to play Barbies because mm-hmm. I think it's like one of those things where they're connecting with who they were and they start to understand that, yeah, that that's not my life anymore, but I can still engage with it with other peers or my cousins or my people I babysit and it still brings them joy again. But during that transition, it is, it is just a period of change. I remember feeling guilty that I was like abandoning my dolls and like, Oh yeah. <laughs> I'd like oh, take yeah, for sure. care yes. of them for years. And I, that feeling is still like poignant that I can remember it's of a toy story. Like, oh, absolutely. Look, they're all piled in the corner, not sitting at their tables. Like, <laughs> Oh yeah. And that's, and that's very real because that, that is a very real part of, of life. That is that fantasy um, and creative play that has dominated their brains for the last few years and that create that boundless creativity without without any restraints mm-hmm. and then now they're getting into a society and to expectations that have more restraints it, i mean it's it's a med- middle school is tough <laughs> and that and transition you know middle yeah. school, and i think that that's why especially during middle school outside of the fact that we have all of these freaking hormone changes happening too mm-hmm. that are not helping with us. I mean, I think that's part of why middle school is so hard. Okay. I have to say, I, if we had a sound bite right now, I would be playing Britney Spears. I'm not a girl, not yet a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. Like, I feel like we need to, I feel like we need to like interject it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Natasha on that note, um, <laughs> can you debunk some common myths about puberty, like the things you hear in your practice or just in general that make you cringe? Yeah. I get a little cringy when for, for, you know, well, let me, let me answer it this way. There are some things that we can control and some things that we can't. And of course, there's many things that puberty, we have gone through puberty for millennia. Okay. People have gone through puberty mm-hmm. for many, 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 many years. And yes, it has subtly changed, but I really get annoyed with this panic that girls are going through puberty so much earlier than they have before and something's mm-hmm. wrong. I hear all this, these, I hear moms just turning, turning over and spending hours deep Googling at night about different milk products or different deodorant or like, you know, all of these different things that are like the very inconsequential to this predictable series of events that is going to happen over the course of time. Um, Part of our worry and anxiety of puberty is we want to make sure that it's going right. And part of our anxiety of puberty is we don't want it to happen, right? Because that's, (laughs) that's, that's a transition in our kids that most of us just we have a grieving too. Like that's, I they are know. becoming an adolescent. Yeah. And so I think it gets a lot of focus that it's happening earlier and earlier with the implication that my young daughter is becoming a woman early and early. And that's simply not true. Um, the average movement of puberty has been a series of months over the course of 30 years. So I think the media likes to ride on this. that's getting earlier and earlier because you're drinking like regular milk instead of organic milk and it's selling a lot of organic milk, you know? Um, the uh, other thing parents, a big miss is if you just have breast change, if a kid just has boobs or if a kid just has sweaty pits or if a kid just has maybe a few pit hairs or something like that, then they're in puberty and panic must ensue. And when you just have the puberty, especially in girls and in boys too, you got to have, a, it takes a couple of different brain systems and, and uh, to be all communicating together to truly be in puberty. It is not uncommon for young girls to have a little bit of breast change that just kind of stays there for Mm -hmm. a while. It's not uncommon for kids to have stinky armpits for a while. 
and that's okay. It doesn't mean they're in puberty. Puberty has to be that, like I said, that sequence of physiological events, external body changes in addition to growth changes. And that's why we see our pediatrician to make sure that we're all in case. So if you see your pediatrician and you say, I'm really worried that his pits are stinky, or I'm really worried that I think I see boobs, like mm-hmm. just go talk to your doctor about it. But most, most likely those kids are going to be just fine. With some um, deodorant, maybe. With, with deodorant. some deodorant. With some deodorant. <laughs> Get some <Absolutely>. teen spirit. <laughs> and some I Axe wanted that spirit. so bad. <laughs> I know, exactly. So when do, okay, so, you know, you're talking about visiting with our pediatricians for our kids. At what point do you make a decision to take your daughter to a GYN? Kids don't have to see a GYN until they're 21. Oh, that's super helpful. There yeah. you go. So our pediatricians are well-trained to take care of all through puberty and most early reproductive issues. Kids don't need to see a GYN unless there's a significant problem that your primary care provider might suggest. Or if they're having, because really you're seeing your GYN at the beginning for um, uh, uh, pap smears and gynecological exams, which young adults do not need. And thankfully, because of the HPV vaccine, we're having even less risk for them. And so that 21 may even be pushed back even further, but you don't have to worry about gynecology for a while. There are pediatric gynecologists. I should say that too. There are gynecologic issues that happen um, for pre-pubertal children in which we do use that as a resource. It is not common, but when when you, when you would bring your 11-year-old to me and say, I'm really worried about this issue, if I were to agree, I would specifically send them to a pediatric gynecologist. I'm not sending them to an adult gynecologist. It's a different exam. It's a different environment. It's more kid-centered. So don't freak out if you do have to see a gynecologist for a reason. There are kids that are specifically trained to see young people. Gotcha. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Um, so kind of the opposite end of the early puberty. Um, can you talk about kids that you see that are more late bloomers and, you know, maybe it's still within the normal range, but all their peers are going through, you know, getting their periods or growing or all these things. And they're not yet. Um, when is it a concern and how do you kind of coach parents and kids through that? Most parents and families can identify these kids because, like I mentioned before, the vast majority of pubertal trigger is going to be genetic. So if you know that you were a late bloomer or that your partner was a late bloomer, it's increasing significantly the chances that your kids were because they're going to say they're going to have that same genetic makeup. Mm -hmm. That being said, the whole late bloomer thing. I think it's, I mean, it has some legitimacy. Of course, I don't want kids to be stressed out because their body's not changing. Yeah. But that question I have not gotten in probably about five or six years. Like, I think that there is more in general, mm-hmm. probably thanks to Lizzo, but in general, yeah. there's a lot more <laughs> body acceptance, right? Yeah. There's all types of bodies and kids mm-hmm. are getting this message. There's all types of bodies. There's all types of families. There's all types of different ways that people live. And people are seeing that on computers, on social, on video, in all of our digital connectedness that we have these days. These kids are, are having a little, having a much more broad sense of variability and much more comfortable with it. So I do think that the stress is very different. We, 10 years ago, I, there will be kids that 
had to see a counselor to deal with their anxiety about their bodies. Mm-hmm. That has not, mm-hmm. I haven't had that in at least five or six years. And awesome. I think that's uh, a good thing. Yes. Yeah. I noticed it the most like on the baseball field or, you know, sports when like there's some kids that still look like kids and then there's like grown men and they're the same <laughs> size. And they have to play against each other and everyone's complaining that it's not fair. No, uh-huh. I know. Um, uh-huh. I think it's one of those things where that's just competitive spirit for, for yes. advantage, but the psychological implications that we had before, I'm certainly seeing less of. And we always, we teach our boys, you know, you got a smaller strike zone. So yeah, use it to your advantage. Absolutely. So you, Dr. Natasha, you had said something about, um, puberty, the concern with puberty happening earlier and earlier, which am I using the term correctly? It's precocious puberty. Yes. That's the diagnostic term for that diagnostic term. So is that something that and you kind of alluded to this. Is this something that we as parents should be aware of, concerned about? Um, not in general, because most of most of those types of the kids that we catch that are precocious, they're going to come in for routine exams, and that's part of our job. I okay. think most of it is going to be identified by me before it's identified by any parent. That's very that's most of the time when people are concerned about precocious puberty, they're coming in with a nine or ten year old and just not realizing that that's normal time. Um, the, uh, I think what is important, uh, even beginning, even beginning as, as young, young children is to continue to allow your pediatrician to be a partner and explain Mm -hmm. to your kids that what they, that when we are looking at their body and looking at their skin, we're doing it with purpose and not just to be creepy about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that we're doing it in order to make sure that the I always tell kids there's clues that your body is giving us on the outside. And then I can translate those clues to know what's going on with your body on the inside. And that's why I went to school for a really, really long time, but we Mm -hmm. have to partner together to be able to do that. And that comes to issues with privacy and comfort. Totally understand that. And parents do not have to leave the rooms if they do not want to I mean, especially for those, I mean, until the kids are like, uh, mom, can you please leave? Um, Mm -hmm. but, um, I think that there is a reason that we work together to do our jobs. Cause like I said, most of those subtle signs for precocious puberty, I think most parents would not be aware of, and that's okay. We don't need to, you don't need, that's not your job. That's my job. So ignorance is bliss with that topic. Well, because I mean, I mean, well, exactly. Like, I mean, like I'm trusting my pediatrician to catch this, if this is happening, right? it's not something that I need to be watching for vigilantly. And a true kid, a true kid that's in precocious puberty, it's not subtle. Like it's not going to be subtle when they are coming in for their annual physicals, they will have change on their growth chart and on physical exam that will be easily identified by any doctor, if not the parent before. But typically most of my parents that come in for true precocious puberty are are identified by me because you don't even have puberty on the radar, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. With your seven or for your six or seven year old, that's not even on your radar. Mm -hmm. And so you just see their body as a normal body. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so typically when people are concerned about puberty, they're coming in, like I said, with a nine or 10 year old that's having breast development, in which case that's perfectly normal and fine, normal range. So, and, and quite honestly, precocious puberty, but you know, precocious puberty is, is not uncommon, but it's not common. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, it's, it's certainly an issue that we have definitely have some great support here in Kansas city. We've got great 
endocrinology teams to help these kids too. And so once they are identified, they can quickly get um, the treatment that they need if the parents want to proceed with it. And and uh, otherwise, we just watch them grow through that predictable stages, even though it starts a little early. Yeah, yeah. So kind of, you know, referring to your, when you go to your pediatrician, as the kids get older, at what age do you start seeing the need to have the parent leave the room? Um, yeah, like what does that look like? Sure. So I usually start talking about that when my kids are 11 and 12. And we just start having the discussion that someday in the future, we're going to do the exact same exam that I've just done, but we're going to have mom or dad just step out of the room briefly. So we have some private time to talk. Okay. Okay. Moms and dads get really worried about this, but this is, but I, I want to ensure family. I think, I mean, I think it's great. Yes. And, and some, and, but you would have some families to disagree. Sure. Sure. You know, yeah. And, but, um, we, I, I think, and I think it's just maybe a general distrust, maybe that something sinister is going on. And I assure you that by that time that I have seen a family for 12 years before I actually have a mom step room, I, we pa- pediatricians are respectful to the parents vibe. I know your vibe. I know what you're teaching your kids. I reinforce those messages and, and then you go on your merry way. I'm not here to parent your kid. I'm not here to change their mind about things. I'm just here to answer questions and give them facts. And most importantly, I just want them to be able to trust that I'm another trusted adult that they can share something with. And so when they start to have, usually around 13 is when I have, when I ask the parent, if I talk about it at 11 and 12 and we prepare for 13. And when 13 Mm -hmm. comes around, I usually have all of the family in the room. We talk all the usual stuff, make sure everything's going on. Just have the mom step, mom or dad step out of the room just briefly for the exam and come right back in. And during that time, I'm not probing, I'm not introducing anything, not introducing any high-risk behaviors because I know within our patient population how old kids are on average that I need to start talking about vaping, that I need to start talking mm-hmm. about consent, that I need to start talking about relationships. You need to start talking about sexually transmitted infections. And that's certainly not at the age of 13, right? So we're just starting to build that trust. And what that allows me is, as a provider, as a pediatrician, what that allows me is, is by the time your son or daughter gets to be 17, and they're really in a crisis for some reason and really don't know what to do, Mm -hmm. hopefully they will have enough ability to understand that I respect that boundary to them. And that I'm a person that they can talk to, to put them into the right direction. In with, with that being said, there is nothing that the first thing that I'll always do is say, so we need to talk to your parents about this. Do you want me to tell them? Do you want you, do I do yeah. you want to tell them? Do we want to tell them together? Like there is never, never going to be a serious issue for a child. That's not addressed with you, even though a kid is stepping out, even though you're stepping out of that room briefly. Mm-hmm. And sometimes at, the, at those points do we just become mediators for that conversation that happens. Um, but there is, but, um, in our, in today's society in general, I think there's a level of distrust and the pandemic has not helped that with healthcare, with healthcare providers yes. and if some ways has, um, increased. And so, mm-hmm. so my plea to families and our Kansas city friends that are listening is that we're parents too. 
we're on your side. We just want to make sure that your kids can get through these years safely and healthy. That is our job. And our job is to give them facts, regardless of answer questions factually, and give them an opportunity to be another trusted adult in their life. And if there is an issue of significance in which I put on my mom hat and say, man, if I was this kid's mom, would I want to know about this? And if I said the answer is yes, then I'm going to facilitate that discussion. And it really does go quite smoothly until they're ready to go to college. Yeah. Right. And I think too, I think it's important to keep in mind as parents that we need to, it's okay to switch providers too. you know, like, like it's, you want to be, you want your pediatrician to be somebody that you do trust and that you, you know, are fine stepping out of the room and having, you know, having that conversation. I mean, our doctor, she can say whatever she wants to my kid, you know, like (laughs) (laughs) within within parameters, but I just trust her, you know? So I think that's that's important important to keep in mind. And, you know, I, cause I definitely am guilty sometimes of like, I have like a loyalty crisis (laughs) of like, Oh, well, they saw my child at birth and now we can never switch. You can switch. You know, I think it's important to keep that in mind too. Yeah. You absolutely can switch. You know, I work with my husband, Dr. Kevin. And so it's not uncommon that Soon as girls start to hit puberty and body changes, they're uncomfortable with Dr. Kevin. So I was gonna, I was gonna yeah. actually ask you about boys yeah, so there, switching so, over. Yep. So we, so that's why I typically end up seeing more, more uh, kids that kids that identify female, and and yeah. and Kevin gets the opposite. Um, and I think that's and that is totally kid directed. Like so I cer- certainly have some yeah. boys that don't care, and I certainly have some. And Kevin has girls that don't care, so it's totally kid directed, but that usually happens right around 10 or 11 when they want to make a switch. Okay. Um, you've alluded to it a few times, but can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, as kids are maybe dealing with gender identity, um, and that has become, I feel like maybe not more common, but more discussed openly, Mm -hmm. um, has that changed how you work with kids this age and talk about puberty? Well, that's a great question. Uh, It certainly has made, um, I think what is important is, well, the first thing that you alluded to, it's not new. It's just, we Mm -hmm. talk about it more. Right. Um, (laughs) Yes. The, um, fortunately we now have resources that reflect that change in our kids growing up because regardless of what we may think or what we may understand about gender, I would imagine your elementary school students probably understand more because they are being trained with this new language, this new acceptance, and this new ability to understand when they have classmates and peers of all sorts of gender or non-gender discriminations. And one of my references um, that I would refer families to is the new book from the Academy, which I really like called Uology. Um, It is a book about puberty that is not, um, that is, that uses, um, gender as a marker of sexual development, but otherwise talks about them in you talks about gender with a lot more fluidity, um, Mm -hmm. than other books have in the past. I think it's really important during this time that not only whether they're cisgender or transgender or anywhere in between kids need to understand what's happening to the opposite sex. Kids need to understand Yes. The boys need to understand what's happening with the girls and girls need to understand what's happening in the boys and everything in between. And if we, and that is new than it was 20 years ago, 
you went to your sex ed class with just your girls and you just learned about girl parts and you know what I mean? And just learned about that. And the, and the boys had no idea what was going on. But I think that there, that one thing that gender fluidity has avoid, has allowed us to do is to talk about both um, boy bodies and girl bodies with uh, uh, equally regardless of the, of the gender of the child in front of us. And Uology is a really good book to help us with language and to help us describe bodies in a more gender neutral way. Um, still giving very factual information and, and mirroring the language that the kids are already using. That's so great. That's super interesting. And that's such a great, um, resource. Um, Dr. Natasha, we could talk about this all day long. I feel like <laughs> I have like a million more questions, but I'm like, I've got to cut it. Um, okay. So uology, we're going to link to all resources and show notes any sure. other resources that you recommend for kids and parents or yeah. kids or parents? Yeah. I like the book. Um, Puberty is gross, but also really awesome. Um, oh, that's fun. yeah, it's a really fun book. And I also like it because it talks about both genders. Um, okay. uh, uology, of course, if you prefer, um, uh, to have something that just talks about one gender or the other. Okay. Um, there are also great options. Caring Keeping of You is a tried okay. and true two-part series. That's for the girls. And then the same author, Karen Addison, wrote a book called Guy Stuff that okay. also talks about guy changes. So if you prefer to have resources that separate the genders, I would recommend those. Okay. There's also a book called It's Perfectly Normal. That's an oldie but a goodie. Um, <laughs> it's been around forever but that's also a good general one. And I would say that when you purchase any of these books, whether you like it or, you know, you, uh, you've got to read it first yes, <laughs> before you get so it true. to your kids. Yep. And don't feel badly. If you are not ready to talk about something, I certainly have many parents, especially for puberty gross is really awesome. Like some it's, it expands the spectrum from puberty, um, throughout the entire spectrum. So from little kids all the way to big kids, so some of that stuff is not necessarily appropriate for an 11 or 12 year old, especially if you don't have those parts. For example, if I'm talking to an a little 11 year old girl, they don't need to know about nocturnal erections right now. Like you can, you like, if you don't have the parts, it's irrelevant to you at the beginning, right? So uh -huh. it is completely fine and acceptable and encouraged that if there is something that, that you feel is age appropriate, you know, keep your, keep your little asterisk hat on that they may already know about it, but you can always rip out a few pages, buy the book again in a few years, keep those pages in it and have that book grow with the kids. There's nothing wrong with that because not any, none of, none of these resources is going to be perfect for every family. Um, I, in it, I, there are a couple of books that I do like for, a, for like parents to read. One of them is called the teenage brain by Jensen. I think it's a, it's like a neurobiological book okay. about how the, how the teenage brain is changing. Um, and also there's a, there's a newer one that I found that I just particularly liked called parenting the new teen in the age of anxiety. Oh and it was, it's just kind of a nice framework of, um, uh, of the lens of maybe the environment that the kids are in right now and how you can help parent them through that. Okay. Um, the, uh, and the final thing that I'll mention is Amaze. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Amaze. Amaze.org is a great, I think they have a, I think they, they definitely have a website. They have videos. They've got, I think they have an app now. They also have something called Amaze Junior that talks about early puberty. These are little videos and little topics, little blog posts that you can read and look. look. This is a great place that if you have, a, if they ask a question that you do not know the answer to, mm. Amaze will have the answer for you. And it's very fact driven. Um, so I would encourage families to bookmark that. Too. 
That's so These great. are awesome. I think oh having gosh, the, amazing. the facts is really helpful. Yes. To use that as your base for understanding what's happening. Yes. You got to have the facts and you'd have to answer the question that is asked. And you can't do that if you don't have the facts. Yes. Um, final plug as a pediatrician too, is we've talked a lot about um, puberty, of course, with body changes, which are super important and growth and, and the mental health that comes with these kids. But what gets lost in puberty too, is there's a few other things that parents kind of have to keep on the, on the, on the, uh, on the radar screen. That is during puberty, your eyes change a ton. You've got to make sure your kids are getting comprehensive eye exams because that, that, is that's easily thing that's missed that affects cognition. It affects learning performance, headaches, like other stuff. So don't forget about, especially when kids start to hit double digits to make sure you're getting a comprehensive eye exam. Remember that kids that are going through puberty have really lot, a crazy sense of balance because they're growing so rapidly. They're super injury prone. So if your kid's an athlete, make sure that you're taking special precautions for stretching. Make sure you're doing concussion protection protocols. Make sure you're protecting those knees because those those are these are years where they can get some significant injuries. Um, scoliosis is big, acne is big, and kids get anemic during during puberty too. So if your kid's not a great eater or you're a family that chooses not to eat meat products, then I would highly recommend supplementing with a little iron, talk to your doctor first, of course, mm. but, but those are a couple of other things that kind of get lost, um, um, but are still really important for the, for the global health of kids as they're growing. So helpful. Add it to the list of things I did not know before this podcast. That's <laughs> <laughs> so helpful. Oh my gosh. Dr. Natasha, you're amazing. Well, I hope you, I hope you will come yeah. back. This is just a wealth of information and I like, honestly, like it's definitely a nerve wracking topic for me. Not that I'm uncomfortable talking about it just because I think again, the lack of information and amazing, just even after this conversation, I'm like, all right, feeling better. You know what? We can all do it. We've done it. Feeling more equipped. Other things that we didn't know anything about. We can do it. So true. And, and even for my experienced veteran parents, there's always something new to learn. There's always new language. There's new expectations. There's always something new happening. So just keep an open mind, grab those resources. You guys have got this. Just stick to the facts, learn the facts, and most likely you'll learn something new yourself. And talk to your doctor if you got questions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dr. Natasha, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Appreciate Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yes. And, and uh, thanks to all the Kansas City moms for taking care of those babies. Absolutely. Thanks. Bye. Okay. Well, now that we have talked about puberty, let's talk about some fall fun in Kansas City. (laughs) Nice, smooth transition over. Um, Sarah, what's something you guys are loving this month or this time of year? I think I talked about this last year, but I really feel like it's a hidden gem that everyone worth, needs worth to experience. So the Shawnee Mission Park has um, hayrides, fall hayrides, and we have a family that we do this with every year. Um, I've done it for, I think, five years. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can make a reservation um, just for the number of seats you want, or you can reserve the whole um, wagon hayride wagon. Um, it's pulled by a tractor, so don't expect horses or anything, but, um, (laughs) um, they're loaded with hay bales, um, have blankets 
And we just reserved the whole um, wagon and split it with this other family and usually like to go. They they go through um, the end of November, I think Thanksgiving week. And then they have different times early evening until um, like I think seven or eight o'clock, depending on which night you choose. Um, but we like to go when it's still like a little bit light out. Um, but you can see the sunset and it takes you through the park. Um, we've seen deer, all sorts of um, wildlife. I mean, the trees are beautiful that time of year at the park. Um, it's just so great. Um, and then it ends up back where you started and they have a fire and marshmallows and a gallon of um, Lewisburg cider. And so you can Mm. have a treat. We always, they provide the marshmallows and the sticks. So we always bring graham crackers and chocolate so we can have full s'mores. Um, But you get that space all to yourself too, or with the group that you went with. And um, it's just such a fun, like simple activity. And we love it every year. That's awesome. All right. One that we have grown to love every year is we love going to Night at the Living Farm at Deanna Rose uh, this year. So 2022 for reference. Um, It is October 21st, 22nd, 28th, and 29th. So it goes two weekends. Um, It is so much fun. You have your kids go um, dress up and there are all sorts of activities to do. Obviously, your typical Deanna Rose Farm activities, it is at night, so it's just kind of a fun change of scenery. But they have a DJ there with a dance party. They have mad sciences there, and they've got experiments everywhere. My kids love. They also, we there's also a marshmallow roast there. You can um, roast your mar- marshmallows. Um, there are scary and non-scary hayrides, so you can pick which one, and they are a blast. There are princesses there. Um, there's storytelling, fortune-telling. There's um, back in the, oh, what do they call it? It's like, what was it called? Like the Enchanted Forest. It's back behind like where all the cages are, where there's like the mm-hmm. peacocks and everything, yeah. where you can go on the little trails back there. They do a flashlight scavenger hunt. That's so cute. So your kids get your, their flashlight and they have to find certain things. Um, How busy does it get? You know what? When we've gone, it has not been insane. I mean, it's busy, but it's not to the point where we're like, that's crazy. We're maybe going to sit that one out. It's, we have not found it to be over overwhelmingly busy, which has been nice. Um, and then there's food, food to purchase. And it's just a really fun, fun annual event there. So, and if you're a um, friend of the farmstead, you have a membership, you do get a discount and tickets went on sale last month. So in September, so you're, you can buy them anytime. So yeah, all sorts of fun in October. We hope you are enjoying fall And we will see you next time on our next episode. Thanks for being here. Thank you again for spending part of your day with us. We would love for you to share this podcast with other Kansas City moms, as well as rate and review, as this helps others find us. We would also love to hear from you, whether it's to share what you loved about today's episode, an idea for a future topic, or just to tell us how you're doing. We are here for you. You can email us anytime at kcncpodcast at gmail.com. See you next time on another episode of Kansas City Momcast.